Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Um, we're going to be talking a little bit for the next few weeks about the life of Peter. Uh, as Mason was discussing, there's a lot about Peter that we should be able to identify with as men. Uh, Peter was a pretty regular guy. He was a, a kind of a, a blue-collar, hard worker, said-what-you-think type of guy. Uh, he would not have been the person you would have chosen to have the kind of impact he had, but he's the person that, that Jesus chose. Part of that is because that's what God does. When God does it that way, then only he's the one who gets the glory for it. Nobody looks at Peter and says, well, he was gifted enough and he was smart enough and he was, you know, likable enough that he had this influence. There is an understanding, um, as was said of Peter after the resurrection, he's an ordinary man, but he spent time with Jesus. And because he was an ordinary man who spent time with Jesus, God used him to, to make an extraordinary difference. Uh, so we're going to be looking at his life. And one of the, the ways I want to challenge you, kind of frame up this conversation, is by asking you a question about what kind of difference you're making in this world, what kind of impact you're having. It can be hard to measure, I think, at times. Um, I don't know what kind of gauge you're going to use. You, your mind might first go to your occupation and uh, the difference you make at work or your sales numbers or your productivity or your, the way you've climbed a ladder. Uh, maybe your mind goes to your family or maybe it goes to some friendships, maybe it goes to a project you've been working on. But what, what kind of impact um, are you having in this world? I think about the, the uh, Alabama-Georgia game. You know, I, I didn't really care who won. I stayed up, watched it with my son until whatever it was, 12.30 in the morning. And, and uh, I, was, I was cheering for Georgia because I had become a, a fan of their quarterback, Fromm. He's a really committed Christian. And, you know, he doesn't just, like, mention a scripture. Like, he was exegeting John 17 when they were asking him about his faith. And I was just, uh, I was just really inspired by that. And, and so I was, I was rooting for him. But then when uh, Alabama put in his, I don't know how to say his last name, Tua, you guys know how to say his last name? Right. Thank you. And uh, when, they, when he, you know, he comes running out there, he's got crosses painted on his face. I'm like, okay, all right. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but he comes in there and everything shifts. The momentum shifts. The, it's a, somebody gets put in with the point of, hey, I, we're hoping he can make a difference. Something has to change. Um, so we will try, we'll try this. And, and I, whether we recognize it or not or identify ourselves that way or not, God has put us in some different positions like that in life where we are to be the difference makers. Now, we might not think of ourselves that way. Um, we have a tendency, maybe in humility, but we have a tendency to underestimate the impact we can have or the position God has put us in. Uh, but, but God has put us in the game. He has put us in different places uh, that he wants us to have an impact. He wants us to, to uh, leave a mark. Um, how many of you all knew Matt Davidson, a, a worship pastor that we had here uh, for a number of years? Okay. Um, he led worship for us at the Oldham campus. Uh, he died after being in a car accident in 2012. Um, 
Uh, he would have been in his late 30s. And um, in this past two weeks, I have heard three different people, and we've heard this a number of times, but three different people have just randomly talked about the difference that Matt made in his life. So we were doing deacon ordination uh, a couple nights ago, and uh, one, of the, one of the guys who was a deacon said, how he kind of—he was just sitting, kind of coming. Uh, I think it was Jeff Murphy. Does that sound right? Is Jeff here? Okay. So he was—he was sitting and and um, kind of just coming to church once in a while. But he he played the drums and and Matt as a worship guy and music guy, and found out who he was and uh, called him, invited him to lunch, and just started challenging him, and and that put him on a much different a much different path. Uh, I was talking to one of our guys on staff. Uh, Scott, it's a very similar story. He was kind of coming to church once in a while. Matt Davidson invited him to lunch. When they went to lunch, Matt challenged him, kind of walked with him. We heard this same story, different versions of the same story three different times. So I called yesterday, I called Matt's younger brother, Luke, who's a minister, pastor in, in Dallas. And uh, he used to be my intern. So I, I called him and I said, hey, bro, I, I, this might encourage you. But I just want to tell you three stories I heard about your, your big brother this, this past few weeks. And, you know, as I was talking to Luke about it, he said, what's interesting is that my brother was one of the most gifted musicians that I've ever known. Uh, he was ex- extremely gifted in that way, right? But when, when people talk about the impact he had all these years later, it was almost, it's almost always in that is, hey, Matt invited me to lunch and sat down at the table and challenged me. Just one person after, another, six years later, the impact of his life is still felt by people that he invested in and people that he was intentional with. Um, and, and so to see that, to, to see the way God can use us if, if we take seriously um, our calling as a difference maker. Um, I, I have the opportunity on a number of numerous occasions, right, as a pastor to do funerals. And it's, it's always kind of an interesting thing. Uh, when you do a funeral, because at, at this church, at least, a lot of times you don't know the person you're doing the funeral for, and so you, you want to get to know them before, um, you know, before you stand up to, to talk about their lives. And so one of the things that I'll do is I'll sit down with the, the family and friends, typically before or after the visitation time, I'll just have a list of questions where I want to ask about the person who has, who has died. I want to get, get to know them. And, and I try to word those questions in a sensitive way because I don't really know a lot of times uh, what kind of life that person lived. And it's just a fascinating experience to be able to get to know someone after they are, after they've, they've passed away. And, and so I'll ask, you know what, I'm, really what I'm getting at is what impact did they have? What difference did they make? What did they do with this one and only life that they've been given? And, um, and so I'll say, you know, what were they interested in? What did they like doing? What were they passionate about? And um, there are times when no one talks because there's this understanding or awareness that the answer seems so shallow that they don't want to say it out loud. So for example, uh, I did one funeral for a young man who's like 26, 27 years old. I asked this question of his family. Uh, you know, there's kind of uh, silence. Nobody really answered. Finally, his mom said of him, well, he, he loved to collect hats. He loved to collect hats. And you know, everybody agreed. Yeah, he did, man. He, you should have seen his hat collection. 
All right. He collected hats. Uh, uh, so what was, what was your favorite hat in his collection? Oh, he had this John Deere hat that went back to like 1977. All right, I guess I can use that. Uh, John Deere hat, 1977. Right? What, what, was, uh, what was your favorite hat? We spend 10 minutes talking about the guy's hat collection because there's nothing else to talk about. Right? He, he was a sports fan and he cheered for this team and boy, he never missed this event. And, and in that moment, suddenly you realize the shallowness of many of our pursuits and passions and what we give our attention to and missed opportunities to make a difference and to, um, to leave a legacy. And whenever I walk away from one of those experiences, uh, you know, it is a, it, it is a, convicting moment for me as I become aware of how, how complacent I can become in my life. One of the things that we, we do in, um, in, in, at the end of a funeral is we'll, a lot of people don't know this, but after, after everyone leaves, before the casket is closed, a lot of times it's just me and then um, uh, uh, the, whatever, what are they called? The guy who works for the mortuary, what is it? Uh, mortician. That sounds right. I think that's right. So uh, he, he, uh, not a lot of personality, those guys. They, they uh, so he, hard to remember. One of the last things they'll do though is, you know, they will, with the family's permission, of course, they're in, but they'll, they'll take off the rings, they'll take off the watches. They, they basically, in most cases, every once in a while, somebody will want it buried with them, which is even weirder, but uh, they'll take this, these things off, right? And they close the casket, and then they give those things to the family. But it's just this final reminder of that you're not, you don't take any of it with you, and, uh, and, and that's it, and that's the end of it. And so I, I want us to... I want us to be challenged to make the most of the opportunities God calls us to, to accept the call that God has for us today. I've rambled a little bit too much, so let's jump into our text. We're going to look at uh, Peter's life. It's interesting for me to, to teach on this, this this morning because this has never happened to me before. But I, I preached on this text the pa- this past weekend. And so yesterday when I opened up to see what I was going to be teaching on this morning. I, I'm like, oh, I just did this. I just taught on this. But in some ways, it's really nice because there's always a lot I want to say on a weekend that I don't get to say uh, because of time restrictions. So this is the calling of Peter. Um, and, and it starts in Luke chapter 5. Um, Jesus is uh, teaching on the, the, by the Lake of Gennesaret, identified here as. Uh, it's also better known as the Sea of Galilee. And verse 3 says, He saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by fishermen uh, who were washing their nets. So Simon and this is Simon Peter. When you, when you see Simon in the text, this is Peter, Simon Peter. Um, he would later become known, and you'll look at this in a week or two, later become known as Peter, but uh, same guy. They've just, he's a fisherman. He owns his own business. Uh, this is a good business. Um, he's got a couple of boats. He's hired some people. Uh, they're put, washing their nets. They're putting their stuff away. Verse 3 says that Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So I, I, this is just interesting to me as a teacher. I have a tendency to, to walk around and, and uh, you know, such. And, and I love just this image of Jesus who just, he didn't have an iPad, I don't think, maybe. Uh, he, he sits down on a boat and he just 
And he just talks. Like he, he, wasn't, he wasn't walking around with a mic and with red face and patting himself down with a handkerchief and yelling at everybody. You know, he's just like, he's sitting down in a boat and he's telling some stories. He's, he's just teaching from the boat. And so, so he, he teaches from the boat and, and um, says that when he'd finished speaking, verse four, he said to Peter, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So there's so many fish, the weight of the, the boats begins to... Uh, become too much. They can't put any more fish in there. Verse 8 says, when Simon saw this, when he kind of recognized the, what's, what's happening, the significance of the moment, the power that's being demonstrated in his presence, uh, he falls on his knees or falls at the knees of Jesus and he says, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And so his vision of Jesus immediately gives him clarity about who he is and about where he's at in his life. Right? Like, like he takes a moment, he recognizes who Jesus is, and, and suddenly, you know, just going day in and day out, not really stopping and thinking about who am I, it, that, that's not an option. You see who Jesus is, and it causes self-reflection. It's one of the important reasons that we gather here together early on a Thursday morning, is so that by seeing Jesus, by having a clear vision of who Jesus is, we have a much more accurate uh, idea of who we are. Simon acknowledges, I am a sinner, go away from me, Lord. Verse 10 says, then Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid from now on, uh, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. And then Jesus said to Simon, uh, so Jesus says to Simon, uh, from now on, you're going to have this purpose. And so he calls P Peter to be a fisher of men. He says, you follow me, and Mark's account of this, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, a fisher of people. It doesn't say, I, I will make you a uh, more successful fisherman. It doesn't say, I, I will make you better behaved. I will make you uh, more moral. I, I, will make, I will make you more successful or have, I will make you happier. It's, I will make you a fisher of men. That the purpose of God's calling was not just for Peter, it was for other people. The reason why you're here this morning, you might think it's for you, and, and I hope it is for you, but I'll give you another motivation to be here, and it's not for you, it's for the men around your table. It's a higher motivation. It's a deeper, it's a deeper call on your life than just, hey, come follow me and I will make you a better man. It's come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I, I will make you someone who leaves an impact, who makes a difference in the lives of other people. And so Simon receives this calling from, from Jesus. And there's a few things that I want to underline for us. Um, that we see here and, and so that we can answer God's call uh, to be a difference maker. One is that, that Peter um, was available, if we could put it that way, uh, that he was available. He, he, had, he knew Jesus at this point. In fact, we read in the previous chapter that, he had, that Jesus had already healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he, he knew Jesus. I don't know if Peter's bitter about that or not, but he's, he, he already knows Jesus. He, he, he knows Jesus. Uh, and, and he's around. He's just, he's just around initially. 
And by being around, by being available, he puts himself in a position to receive a call from Jesus to make a difference, to have an impact. Um, and so, so much of answering the call, so much of having an impact is putting yourself in the right place to hear God's call and to be used by God to, to make a difference in the lives of other people. Uh, availability is one of the greatest challenges to discipleship. I think for a lot of us, we, we recognize this, we understand it, we, we might point to a, a sin struggle, we might point to, you know, we might blame somebody else or point, point to a situation at work, we point to a lot of different things, but it's availability, a lot of it comes down to availability, we, we're just not available. How many of you guys were around when pagers, beepers first came out, raise your hand? Okay, yeah, you remember that, I was, uh, I, I remember when I, I was in college, I, I my, my kids cannot imagine the fact that there were no cell phones, you know, but I was trying to explain to them the concept of a pager or a beeper. And, uh, but that changed, that changed things because now you're always, you're always on call. You're always available to the people who have, who have your number. And, and yet our increased availability to, our, to others and to the demands of this life has made it more difficult to be available to hear God's voice and to... Um, to have clarity from, from him about what he wants us to do. And, and so Peter just, he's there. He's, the best way I know how to say it is he just, he shows up. Um, and I would challenge you men to pray regularly this year that God would protect you from the sin of complacency, the, the sin of apathy. Um, this is one of those sins that don't seem very dangerous. In fact, if you look at the, the seven deadly sins that the forefathers, early church fathers put together, um, it's not found as a list anywhere in scripture. They just went through scripture and said, hey, these look like the big ones to us. One of the, one of the sins that is mentioned in that is, um, it's, just, it's called, typically called sloth. Are you familiar with this sin? And, and you know, we look, at, we look at the seven deadly sins and we see lust and we see greed and we, we see things that we would immediately identify with, but we see sloth and we're like, nah. Sloth is, I mean, it sounds like you're just laying in the bathtub till you get wrinkles on your fingers. It doesn't sound that deadly. It doesn't seem like it's, it's that bad of a thing. Sloth is just, it's just laying in your, your lazy boy for an extra hour or two every evening. It's, I mean... It's not that deadly, but look, the early church fathers in their wisdom understood that one of the, one of the greatest threats to your faith is sloth. One of the greatest threats to you being able to have the impact that God wants you to have is complacency. Uh, the word here, I, I believe uh, for sloth, the way they would, I believe it's akdia, and it just, uh, it, it, the, the best way to think of it is a shrug of the shoulders. It's a shrug of the shoulders. That this is one of the most deadly sins, is that you sit and you listen to these things and you're challenged by the word of God to have this impact in the world and you walk out towards your car and like, eh, it was okay. You guys gonna grab some breakfast? Like, like that's, the, that's the reaction, that's the response. It's, you, it's, a, it's a shrug of the shoulders. That it doesn't, it doesn't call you, it doesn't awake you, it doesn't move you, that God's word is taught or preached, and you're like, yeah, I'm familiar with this story, but uh, could have got a little bit more sleep, and it's, it's that. And that is a deadly sin that will destroy you and will, will destroy your, your family and will cause you to miss out on the, the influence and the impact God wants you to have. Um, and, and so it, it's, it doesn't seem very deadly, 
but it's just this idea of, you know, I, I know God has called me for, to be more than just, uh, you know, happy and comfortable. I know he's called me to make a difference in the lives of others, but, you know, I'm going to watch TV a couple hours every night. I know, I know God wants me to spend time with, with him. I know God wants me to spend time studying scripture, and, but I'm going to just mindlessly surf the web until I fall asleep. And I'm just going to keep doing that every night. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just being complacent. And so here's Peter. He's been fishing all night, and yet when he's asked by Jesus to go out into the deep water, he he doesn't really want to do it. He says, I've been, we've worked hard all night. But he's not complacent. He's not apathetic. He doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to go on home and get some rest. But he, he accepts the challenge. He accepts the call that Jesus has put on his life, even though he was tired. Uh, even though it had been a frustrating day at work. They hadn't caught anything. Uh, he, he puts himself in a position to hear God's call on his life. If he wouldn't have said yes to that, then... When would he have been called to be a disciple of Jesus? We don't know. But it's because he said yes. It's because he made himself available that he was in that position. Uh, one author talks about complacency this way. He um, says, complacency is living life with no questions. It's blind acceptance. No probing, no searching, no yearning. And we, lived in a, we live in a world plagued by complacency. And many people settle for a stale vanilla lifestyle that peaks at the age of somewhere around 17 to 27. Life is a paycheck and a weekend and nothing more. History is jam-packed with lives who died with no purpose. Neighborhoods reek with mediocrity. Office complexes are painted gray with boredom. Nine-to-fivers are hypnotized by routine. But does anyone object? Does anyone defy the machinery? Does anyone ask why? He writes, sometimes I want to stand at the corner of the street and yell, doesn't anyone want to know why? Why lonely evenings and why broken hearts and why abandoned marriages? Why fatherless babies? But I never yell it. I just stick my hands in my pockets and stare. And, and that's, the, that's the idea. You just stick your hands in your pockets and you stare. So if, if you're jotting down any notes or two, one of the challenges I would have is just to practice, practice the discipline of availability. Practice the discipline of availability. Uh, what you're doing here is that. You're, you are saying to God, I, I don't know exactly what the call is, but I am making myself available. I don't know exactly what you're going to tell me, but I am being quiet and I am listening so that I can hear your voice. It's one of the things you're doing by being here this morning. Um, being at church on the weekends is a way that you practice availability. For me, I, I have three times during the day, um, you know, three ways at least I think of, of practicing availability. One is drive time. I, I would just challenge you guys to use your drive time as a time to make yourself available to answer God's call on your life. And you just, you just pray, God, what do you have for me today? And God, whatever you have for me today, because you say so, for no other reason than that, even if I don't like it, even if I don't want to do it, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it requires sacrifice, because you say so, I'll do it. And you commit your day to God as you're, as you're leaving home, as you're driving, as you're driving home from work, after work. But use your car time as a time to practice availability. The second time for me is in the shower. Uh, when, when I take a shower, I try really hard to use that as a time uh, to, to pray, to reflect, 
reflect, to think, um, and sometimes, you know, the, the hot water runs out and everybody's frustrated, but that's okay. I, 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 that, that's one of the times where I tried to do that. Another time to practice availability is what I would call the first five and the last five. You take the first five minutes of your day and the last five minutes of your day. And, and if you guys will do that this year, if you'll just commit to waking up, turning off your alarm, getting on your knees for five minutes, committing yourself to the Lord, making yourself available to what he would want to say to you. And then at night, the last five minutes before you fall asleep, or even as you fall asleep, that you are, you're talking to God about your day, you're committing yourself to him, uh, first five, last five. But, but practicing the, the discipline of availability. Um, the, the, the second thing that we see here with Peter is that he is used by God to make this huge impact in the world. All of our lives have been affected by Peter um, because he was obedient. And I won't say too much about this because I talked about it last weekend, although I told Ronnie this morning, I'm like, hey man, this is different for me because I've never, I've never done this where I preached on the weekend, I opened it up and that's oh, it's what I'm supposed to speak on now. And he's like, dude, you could do the exact same sermon and most of them won't remember it. So it's, it's okay. I'm like, super encouraging. Okay, good. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to know. Uh, the... Uh, uh, but, but one of the things we talked about this past weekend is that that, that, that mantra of because you say so, that, that you stop trying to agree with it and you do it, uh, that, that there's just so much power and freedom that will come in your life when you stop thinking about these things that Jesus has said as optional and you say, oh, I, I am under authority. I, I am under his authority. Here's what he said. I'll do it. I might not understand it. I might not agree with it. It might cost me something, but because you say so, I'll do it. And I, you know, that's, that's a huge, broad challenge, right? So the easiest way to apply that, the most realistic way, would be to identify one or two areas of your life and say, okay, in this area, because he says so, I'm, I'm going to, I am going to honor God in my sexuality. I am going to, I am going, I, it, I have these desires, I have these patterns, I have these habits, I have this way of thinking, but because he has said so, I, I'm going to be obedient to what, what he has said in this area. I'm just going to see what happens. And what you'll see is that not only is God going to use that in your life, but he's going to take your obedience and it's going to become a blessing to others. And if you refuse to obey him, it's not going to just impact your life, that it's going to spill out and it's going to affect the lives of others. It's going to negatively impact the lives of others. And so it's this because you say so mentality that, that Peter has. Uh, and one of the, the things we talked about this past weekend is that blessing follows obedience. We want Jesus to say to Peter, hey, Peter, you go out into the deep and cast your nets out into the, the water. And, um, and if you do that, then I'll do this. I'll overflow your boats with, with fish. And Peter's like, well, yeah, I'll do that. And, and that we want to have that agreement with God where God says, if you do this, I'll do this. It's not how it works. It is your obedience and then God's blessing. And, and so we, we are obedient, and then we, we watch to see how God uses that. Um, the other thing we see with Peter is that he humbles himself. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Um, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I cannot think of a more disturbing image than the fact that God would be in opposition to me today. I mean... That, that, is, that, that scares me, that he would actively oppose me, that he would come against 
what I would be pursuing, what I would be chasing after, what I would be trying to accomplish, that he would oppose me. But the Bible says that he opposes. Not that he's neutral to the proud, that he opposes the proud, but he blesses or he gives grace to those who humble themselves. And so Peter says, Lord, I am a sinner. And, and part, of the, the part of the thing I try to do in the shower is this. I, there's something about the, you know, the, uh, the metaphor of, of water and washing clean. Uh, as, as in the shower, I try to use that as a time of, of repentance. I try to use that as a time of humbling myself uh, and asking God's grace and mercy to rain down on me despite my uh, filth, despite my brokenness, despite my shortcomings. God, I need, you to, I need your help. I need you to fill in the gaps. I've tried these things over here. I've pulled the nets in and they're empty. So I'm, I'm throwing my nets in over here. And Lord, the only way I'm gonna catch anything is if you bring it. So, so God, I, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. Um, and, and so we humble, we humble ourselves and, and God takes who we are and what little we have to offer and he uses it in the same way that he would use somebody like, like Peter. Um, lastly, I would challenge you with just this idea of starting immediately. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11 says, So they pulled their boats into shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge for a lot of us is that um, we will procrastinate this stuff. It's not that any of you disagree with what I'm saying. It's not that any of you are opposed to what we've been taught here. It's just that you got a full day today. It's just that it's a really busy season. It's just that this week is a lot going on. And, and instead, in, instead of waiting, you, you, you act immediately. It says they immediately, they left everything and they followed him. And so what do we see? That answering God's call requires sacrifice. It, it requires a change in plans it requires a flexibility, right? Where you thought it was going to go this way and it's going to go a much different way. And Peter, we know he was married. So he, he, of course, in that culture at that time, most likely had numerous children. He has a family. So he's going to go back and say to his wife, um, you know, this business that we've worked so hard to start, I, I quit today to become a fisher of men, right? And, and sometimes it's radical like that. Oftentimes it's just recognizing that God has surrounded you with the harvest. God has surrounded you with fish. You just got to start putting your nets in. So today, you immediately begin to think, okay, God, I had my plans for today. As I go about my day, how do you want to use me to, to make a difference? How do you want to use me to have an impact? Um, I need to skip down and finish up. Um, <clears throat> One of, the, one of the things I would challenge you guys to do, and this, I, you know, I wrote it down, and now saying it out loud seems a bit morbid, but that's okay, uh, is, you know, I, <clears throat> for some of you in this room, I, I, I may do your funeral one day, right? Like, that, that may be something I'm called upon to do. You might have somebody else in mind. That's fine, too. Uh, <laughs> so someday, someday, for some of you in this room, and I don't know when it'll be. It could be next week. That's a possibility, right? For some of you in this room, I'll, I will have this moment where I'm going to go into your visitation and people will be finishing up, you know, looking at pictures, talking about, and then I'm going to ask 
some of your family, a few of your friends, I'm going to say, hey, can you guys come over here and, and talk to me for a few minutes? So who would that be? So can you kind of get in your mind who I would be sitting down with, who I would be asking? You got to kind of have that in your head. And maybe pick three or four people. Okay. So we sit down in the funeral home and they're, you know, emotional and they're wiping away tears and, and, uh, and I, don't, I don't know you that well. And I say to them, hey, help me get to know him. What, what, what are some words? This is one of the questions I ask. What are some words that would describe him? What, what would you say he gave his time to? What, what was he passionate about? What, what did he invest his life in? And I've got my notepad, and I'm listening. What are they going to say? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace that calls us. Um, Lord, I, just, I freely acknowledge that I've missed many opportunities. Um, and God, my pride has gotten in the way plenty of times, and my, my busyness and distraction has kept me, I don't even know how many times, from hearing from you. And so, Lord, we're dependent upon your grace. There's guilt and shame that uh, sometimes creep up in a message like this. And, and so the voice begins to say, well, you had your opportunity. It's gone now. You've missed it. It's too late. I know Peter felt that way. I know he had ideas about the way his life was going to go. He hadn't planned on being a fisherman. Um, and maybe he thought it was too late for him until Jesus, one day you called and you said, come and follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. And Lord, every single man in this room his life has been impacted by Peter. So Lord, would you use us today the way that you used Peter, not because we are good enough or smart enough, not because we're deserving enough or holy enough or righteous enough, but because you are good and gracious and powerful. You are the redeemer. God, you take our broken efforts and you, you do beautiful things. So God, I don't know when the day will come for each of us. Um, you know, we tend to think it'll be a while, and, um, but it could be at any time. I, I pray, God, that you would let us live with that idea in mind of how, how we will be remembered, the kind of impact that we will have had, the difference that we will have made in people's lives. And would you help us live with that, um, with that focus and that intentionality today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.